As I was looking around the room during this time, you know what I saw? I saw a lot of brothers and sisters in our church family whose names have been on the prayer chain over the past few weeks, and I saw them being encouraged because I know they've been prayed for. That's such a sweet and beautiful moment in a church's family life when we can be praying for one another and then seeing each other on the Lord's Day and checking in to see how one another is doing. As we sang, Just As I Am, it made me think, you know, some of you had a great week. And some of you had one of the hardest weeks of your life. And we don't even know. I don't know. You know. Maybe you know. And our Heavenly Father is prepared to meet with us today and has been meeting with us today, no matter what happened. So we can come just as we are. And so it's really good news. Particularly if this week was a week of failure for you. Maybe you failed this week. I want to start our message with a question. What do good leaders do when their followers fail? What do good leaders do when their followers fail? It's an important characteristic for a coach, for a teacher, for a mentor, for a president, for a boss, for whoever. You really learn a lot about a leader when their people fail. Uh, today, Peter is going to commit one of the most famous failures in recorded human history. And we're going to find out what Jesus is going to do. So, if you have your Bible, will you please turn with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Today we'll be in verses 15 through 27, making our way through the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible, this is reprinted for you on the back of your bulletin. And as you turn to John 18, a little bit of where are we? The Gospel of John has taken its final turn towards the cross. It is the end of Passion Week. It is the night or early morning, uh, the night he was betrayed, or the early morning going into Good Friday. Jesus has willingly allowed himself to be arrested. And one of his closest followers, Peter, is going to have a chance to say publicly whether or not he's with Jesus. Spoiler alert, Peter is going to fail. But Jesus is not like Peter. Jesus is greater than Peter. And a charcoal fire is going to show us how much greater Jesus is. Let me pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the message. And then I'll read verses 15 through 18 to get us started. Let's pray. Lord, this is your world, and you love it. And this is your word, and you love us with your word. You have written down your word for our hearts to see, and our ears to hear, and our minds to cherish. So nourish us now with your word and with your words. May every word that comes out of my mouth be only from you. Get me out of your way, O oh Lord, during this message. Thank you that no matter the week we had, you have something for us to encourage us or to correct us or to spur us on towards righteousness or to remind us of your loving kindness. All of that, Lord, you are prepared to do 
So help us as we hear from you, receive all of your gifts from the preaching of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, as we begin. This is the glorious word of our Lord. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The line of the day is going to be from me, at least that's the plan. There's no one like Jesus. We fail him, but he never fails us. There's no one like Jesus. We fail him, but he never fails us. Us. Jesus had been arrested. He has now been taken to his nighttime trial. And then Peter and another disciple follow along. They're following Jesus. They gain access to the courtyard of the high priest. And Peter gets the chance to say publicly whether or not he's with Jesus. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you with Jesus? And he denies it. And he says, I am not. One of the most famous denials and failures in human history. And then he's standing around a charcoal fire, keeping warm. Now, use your imagination. This is not a charcoal fire, but it's the best we had. And it's bright in here, and I'm not asking for you to dim the lights, but, you know, this makes a pretty nice little fake fire in a dark room. So there's Peter, and he denies Jesus, but we learn that he's standing around a charcoal fire, keeping himself warm. Now, it's easy to point out Peter's flaws, isn't it? I mean, this is one of the most famous failures in all of human history. Yes, do you stand with Jesus? Are you with Jesus? Do you believe what Jesus is saying? Are you following him? It's easy to point out Peter's flaws. But haven't we all been there? Haven't we all been tempted to keep our mouth shut when someone says, do you believe the Bible? Are you with Jesus? You go to one of those churches are you really following Jesus or do you just like the nice things he said, but not the judgy kind of things he said? Are you with Jesus? It's easy to pick upon Peter in a time like this, but we've all been tempted at times to not fully publicly say we're with Jesus. And, you know, Peter has some other public flaws. There was that time when Jesus is walking on water and Peter steps out of the boat and he takes a few steps. And then when he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he falls in. And, and we have this famous failure of Peter. Peter, why did you take your eyes off Jesus? I wouldn't have taken my eyes off Jesus. Why did he fall into the water? And then we, rem we remember or we forget, and I heard someone say this once, we forget that Peter is currently the silver medalist in walking on water. 
Of all the humans who've ever walked on water, it's Jesus. And then in second place, Peter, unless you have. So as much as we are pointed out Peter's great failure in this passage, we need to stare even longer at what Jesus is going to do with his disciples' failures. There's no one like Jesus. We fail him, but he never fails us. And if you've failed, you need this story. If you've failed Jesus, you need this story. If you've failed Jesus publicly at school, at work, in the neighborhood, in your family get-togethers, if you've publicly said, nah, I'm not with Jesus, if you've failed Jesus publicly, you need this story. If you've failed Jesus famously, you need this story. Even if when you think of Jesus, the first 10 thoughts that come to your mind are, I failed him again this week, and I failed him the week before, and I failed him every week this year, especially if that's you. If you're aware that you have not perfectly followed Jesus, this story is for you. Because we fail him, but he never fails us. And so in the text this morning, we're going to stare at the heart of Jesus and what he is going to do with Peter, who famously fails him. There's no one like Jesus. We fail him, but he never fails us. So now let's stare for a minute at the failure of Peter. The details are so clear, you can easily picture this happening, can't you? So look at verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Pause there. Now we have disciples following Jesus. Disciples following Jesus. That's familiar. That rings a bell. When Peter and his other disciples were first called, Jesus said, follow me, and they became a disciple. And so the whole story of, of Peter's life is he's a disciple following Jesus. And now, even to almost the end, Peter and another disciple are following Jesus. If you're here today and you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're following Jesus. You're a disciple. If you're here today and you're learning about Jesus and you haven't decided to follow him yet, if he hasn't saved you by grace through faith, then you're invited to be a disciple who follows Jesus. If you want to learn more about that, Stay and let us tell you about him. Disciples following Jesus. And there's two of them, Peter and this other disciple who had VIP access to the high priest's courtyard. We don't know who he was. It was someone important who also followed Jesus. Maybe it was John. Sometimes in John's gospel, he talks about himself sort of in like the third person. Uh, but we can't be sure. But whoever it was, that disciple got Peter VIP access to watch Jesus. Look at the middle of verse 15. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So Peter gets VIP access. He gets a front row seat to watch the trial of Jesus, except there's one problem. There's one problem. The doorkeeper had a question. Verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. You know, in the passage from last week when Jesus is being interrogated by Annas and 
or and the soldiers at the arrest of Jesus before he's taken to Annas, he's asked, you know, are you Jesus of Nazareth? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. He admits it. They're so shocked by that that the soldiers fall over. I am he. Now Peter gets his chance to walk the path of Jesus and he says, I am not. I'm not with him. It's almost identical in the Greek. Peter denies being connected to Jesus. Nope, not me. And the temptation to deny Jesus publicly is very universal, isn't it? Let me talk for a moment about a greater danger in denying Jesus. This isn't just the occasional time where we clam up or where we're shy or where we decide not to engage in a conversation. There's a greater danger in a greater denial of Jesus for every human heart. If you go your whole life and you never confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your eternity will be alive but apart from Him. This has eternal consequences. If your allegiance isn't to Jesus at all, you deny him by not walking with him at all in life. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So those who permanently and perpetually deny Jesus in this life do not receive his offer of forgiveness. And they will pay for their sins in eternity forwards apart from God. Rejecting Jesus is deadly. But that's not Peter's denial here. Peter has been following Jesus publicly. Peter has been on the hook with Jesus publicly for years. Peter goes on to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yes, he failed spectacularly here. But his allegiance was to Jesus. Nonetheless, Peter fails big time. And right when Jesus had it the hardest, he's arrested, he's, he's taken to this nighttime fraudulent trial, and if, if anybody should have been there to comfort Jesus, it would have been Peter and James and John, the three closest disciples. His closest disciples couldn't comfort him in this moment, but they could comfort themselves, right? So Peter's denying Jesus, but making sure he stays comfortable in life. It's almost a metaphor, isn't it? I want to be comfy, especially if it's going to cost me to follow Jesus. Verse 18, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself, denying Jesus, but staying comfortable. A charcoal fire. If you notice in your bulletin, that's the name of the sermon, and you'll understand why at the end. I've got this little fire here because a fire is memorable. You can use most of your senses safely around a fire. You can see a fire safely, right? You can hear a fire safely. And for something like a charcoal fire, you can smell a fire safely. You can't really, right, taste a fire safely or touch a fire safely. But the charcoal fire is warm. You can visualize it, but Peter's heart is not warm. He's certainly wondering, as he's warming himself at that charcoal fire, how in the world did I just blow it and publicly deny my allegiance to Jesus? How did I do that? I'm nice and warm, but not on the inside. If it was me and I just publicly denied Jesus, I think my ears would get really red. Does that happen to you? My ears get really red when I'm nervous or when I eat certain foods. 
So if we just had a meal and my ears are red, maybe it was the food. Maybe it's not just that I've been in your company for a while. Peter had failed. The fire is warm, but the heart of Jesus for his people, even when we fail, is even warmer. As Aria said earlier, Jesus is so different than us. There's none like him. In the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, one of the books I had on, outside of my office as a recommended book earlier this year, uh, here's what Dane says about Jesus and his love for us even when we fail. He says, Jesus does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. And we love up to a limit. Have you reached your limit sometimes with some people? Jesus loves to the end. There's no one like Jesus. We fail him, but he never fails us. So Peter failed one time so far. And now, as John is writing his gospel, we move away from the story of Peter's failure one time so far to see what Jesus is doing for us and for Peter. Look at verses 19 through 21. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. All right, so right now we're before Annas. Annas had been the high priest earlier, and he's about to send Jesus to the current active high priest, Caiaphas. And so this is a pre-trial trial, and the original trial was going to be fraudulent. This is a fraudulent pre-trial of a fraudulent trial. And Annas has two questions. Look at 19. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. In other words, who follows you and what have you told them to do? And that is the question that opponents of Jesus are going to ask every generation. Who follows Jesus and what have you been taught? And we're going to let you know if we think that's safe in society or if Jesus needs to go to the cross and be executed. Who are your disciples and what have you taught them to do? That's what Annas wants to know. In Jewish procedure at the time, this was completely wrong. Legally, what was supposed to happen is the defendant's witnesses would have been talked to first. So Jesus' witnesses would have been talked to first. And then the other witnesses... Right? They would gather anyone who heard Jesus' teaching, and then at last, the defendant. But they're doing it all out of order. They don't really care about law. They don't really care about procedure or protocol. They want to get Jesus out of the story. They want to cancel him. So Jesus is saying to them, well, if you want to know about my disciples and my teaching, why don't you ask them? I've got no secrets. The message of Jesus was taught in the temple and the synagogue and the fields and the valleys and the hills and the mount and on the water and off the water and at night and in the morning and during the day. It was for the whole world, for Jew and Gentile alike. But these Jewish officials aren't interested in the gospel of Jesus. They want the problem silenced. Look at verse 22. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, 
If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So Jesus is continuing his faithfulness to the Father, continuing his mission to be the Savior of the world, and he's representing himself. This is who I am. This is what I've taught. These are my disciples. I'm going to do this for them, and they don't want to hear it. It's so ironic, isn't it, that the officer strikes Jesus with his hand, probably slaps him backhand or open hand, front hand, and he slaps him for not answering the high priest correctly. Which is so interesting as you read the Gospels because you realize that Jesus actually came to be our high priest, to represent us before the Father, to be the final sacrifice, to make propitiation for our sins. Jesus right now is our high priest. If you're a believer, if you're in Christ, he's praying for you even this minute that your heart would be transformed more like his, that you'd be able to love God and love others better. He is the high priest and this man slaps him for not answering the fraud high priest correctly. There's so much irony here. And Jesus can tell that this trial is going to be pretty shady, right? This isn't going to be going according to law or according to decorum. And Annas can tell right away that this isn't going to end well. So in verse 24, he moves him on to the next stage. Annas knows and Caiaphas knows that in order to get Jesus out of the picture and by morning into a trial before Pilate, representing the Romans, there's going to need to be a formal accusation coming from the active high priest Caiaphas. And so the trial continues. Annas says, let's move along. We're not getting anything out of this guy here. Send him to the true active high priest Caiaphas. Well, Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world and the failure of his followers, which brings us back to Peter. There's no one like Jesus. We fail him, but he never fails us. So let's watch us failing Jesus. Let's watch a disciple failing Jesus. And if you've failed Jesus famously, you know how this feels. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. That's strike two. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, uh uh-oh, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Pause there before verse 27. He's not even asking, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you all in with him? He's asking, were you even there? Are you willing to say you were near Jesus? And now the final heartbreaking verse to read, verse 27. Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. So Peter, still by that charcoal fire, keeping himself warm, denies Jesus one time. And then as he's staying warm and processing what he's done, he gets another chance and he denies Jesus again, but he's warm. And then the third chance comes and he denies Jesus a third time and then the rooster crows, signaling to him that Jesus knew what he did. How did Peter come to this? How does a disciple who's walked with Jesus for years get to the point where one, two, three strikes you out? He got three chances to say, I am with Jesus, and he denies it. 
How did Peter come to this? Let's be honest, because the gospel is not just for Peter. The gospel's for us. The gospel is that Jesus can save sinners from our sins. But the reality of sin is that once we sin one time, it makes it a lot easier to sin a second and a third time, doesn't it? Doesn't it? We flee from certain sins determined not to commit them. You watch your mouth carefully so as to speak only the words of life. You flee from inappropriate websites or images to keep your mind clean. You carefully steward your money to keep yourself from foolish spending, debt, and idolatry. You watch what you eat to steward your body as a gift from God. And then you mess up once. And the downward spiral starts. You let one word fly with those friends that you used to let all the words fly with. And then the filth keeps coming out. You click one image to stare And then you keep clicking and you keep clicking and you lose track of time. You buy that thing you know you don't need. And as soon as you hit purchase, you go to buy an accessory for it. Or something that matches it to make the perfect outfit, right? Or you eat just one. And then you just have one more. And then just one more. And then just one more. Or you drink just one. And then just one more, and then just one more, and then just one more. What does Jesus do for his disciples when they fail? Peter probably felt such shame at denying Jesus, but he did it a second time and then a third time. And if it wasn't for the rooster reminding him of Jesus' prediction that this was actually going to happen, he might have denied Jesus every day. But the rooster, yikes, what a spectacular failure. You may remember why this rooster is so important. Peter was absolutely certain that even if all the rest of the disciples failed Jesus, not him, he was never going to fail Jesus. Earlier during the Last Supper, and this is in John 13, if you want to, you can peek back at John 13 if you have your Bible. John 13, verse 37 There's a discussion about how the disciples aren't going to be able to follow Jesus all the way through what's going to happen. Now, Jesus knows he's going to the cross. He's the only one qualified to do that. But in the discussion, Peter puffs up his chest like some of us do. Not me. I'm not going to fail. Verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus knew what was going to happen later that night. Verse 38, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Oh, it happened. The shame in Peter's mind, his body was the only thing that was warm. Because he knows in his heart and his mind, he failed. He promised, I'm never going to fail Jesus. I'm never going to fail Jesus. And he did one, two, three times. And what we realize as the night's events go on, as the disciples of Jesus fade into the background, especially after this event, is that everyone other than Jesus was going to fail. Nobody but Jesus was going to be able to make it to the cross. The disciples could not save themselves. You can't be the Messiah. You can't save yourself from your sins. You need a Savior and a Redeemer. 
Only Jesus can make it to the cross. Only Jesus can fix our past failures. There's no one like Jesus. We fail him, but he never fails us. So Peter famously fails Jesus three times. And you know what would have happened at that charcoal fire? The smell of the charcoal fire would have very likely locked that memory in to Peter's mind. The smell of that fire would have locked in that memory. Let's talk about smells for just a moment. Trust me, it'll make sense in a few minutes, I promise. Bacon is one of my favorite smells. When I smell bacon and when the house smells like bacon afterwards, I love it. You know what else I love? A freshly opened pack of trading cards. You smell that cardboard? Here's why. Growing up, I collected baseball cards. I collected basketball cards. I played this card game where you collect different characters and cast spells and all that stuff. And every time I got a new pack of cards, you open it up and there's that fresh or not fresh cardboard smell coming out of that pack. I don't know what the smell is, but when my kids would get a pack of cards over the last few years and we open it up, I am instantly transported back 30, 40 years to that innocent time when I first smelled that and it was so exciting. I remember my childhood just from the smell of opening a pack of cards. Smell is such a powerful way that God has designed us to lock in memories. Grilled burgers. Every time I smell someone grilling, I have to stop and say it to the family. Do you guys smell that? Someone's grilling. And families have smells. Maybe your house has a smell. Maybe grandma's house had a smell. When you smell that, you remember grandma. I have been to a lot of funerals where people have mentioned smells of the deceased. I remember. I remember that smell. I have heard that story. And churches have smells too. We have a smell as a church. If you smell maple syrup, what day is it? It's Easter. Pancake breakfast, this church has a smell. We talk about it every Easter. The whole place smells like maple syrup. Neuroscientists have studied our five senses, the five major senses, and four of them, sight, taste, touch, and hearing, the sensory information from those doesn't go straight to processing. It goes to your thalamus, and then the thalamus decides where to send it for processing, but not smell. Smell bypasses the thalamus. It goes straight to the processing center, the olfactory bulb. Neuroscientists don't know why, but they know that smell has the strongest relationship to memories. And you know it too. You smell that powerful smell. And you had a joyful or traumatic experience, and that smell locks that memory in for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. So let's go back to Peter. His biggest failure ever now has the smell of charcoal, most likely locking that memory. It's bad enough, but that smell would have locked that memory in. Every time he would have smelled a charcoal fire, he would have said, charcoal fire, I'm a failure. <gasps> Do you smell that? It reminds me of my biggest failure. 
They didn't have electricity back then. Charcoal fires were everywhere. This memory was locked in. John mentions charcoal fire for a reason. Our sermon series is in John right now. We're going to make it through chapter 19 before we get to Advent, and then we'll put John down until next fall. But today we need to skip ahead to see something, to see what Jesus did for Peter. We need to see what Jesus does for his disciples when we fail him. What does Jesus do for you when you fail him? Who is he? What is his heart like? When you think of your scars and your failures, what does Jesus do for you? There's no one like him. We fail him, but he never fails us. So after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples many times. And in one of those moments, Jesus restores Peter in a powerful way. If you have your Bible, go to John 21 and verse 15. John 21 and verse 15. Jesus is going to restore Peter. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. Three times Peter gets to say yes. Three times. It's recorded in Scripture for the rest of history. Peter had three chances. He blew it. Now Jesus gives him three chances and he says, yes, I love you. Jesus graciously restores Peter with this conversation. Three times Peter failed. Three times Jesus restores him. And Peter would have eventually, in that moment or later on, realized what Jesus was doing in that. Jesus was communicating this to his disciple who failed. Yes, you failed me three times, and you will never forget that. You will never forget that. But I'm going to change that memory for you. That scar will not go away, but when you see the scar, it will mean something different for you. Your failures, your weaknesses, your sins, those are in your past and I am making you new. I am giving you a new story. You were famous for failing three times. Now you will be remembered for saying yes to me three times. And you're never going to forget that failure, but my glory, Peter, is going to be greater when you remember that failure. I'll turn those ashes into glory. Your testimony will show the world my love. And so Jesus creates a new memory for Peter. Some of you tell your testimonies like this. I used to be like this, and God saved me from that slavery. And now that story has opened up doors to share the good news of Jesus with people. 
I failed like this, and now God uses me exactly like that, but for His glory and not for my downfall. My failures become testimonies of His faithfulness. That's what happened to Peter. Jesus' love was greater than his disciples' failures, and Jesus was there at the beginning of the world. Jesus was there with the Father and the Holy Spirit before Genesis 1-1 at creation, and Jesus knew this, as if what he's already done for Peter wasn't beautiful enough, that Jesus takes our past failures and turns them into testimonies of his faithfulness because Jesus knew what our senses would be. And he knew that smell was the strongest sense tied to memory. And so when Peter is restored, what could he smell? John 21, a few verses earlier in verse 9. The disciples had caught some fish. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with a meal. A charcoal fire. Did you know, and this isn't a stretch, fire is mentioned 72 times in the New Testament. 72 times in the New Testament. I want you to just guess how many times a charcoal fire is mentioned. Two times. Only two times. The charcoal fire where Peter said, no, I'm not with Jesus. Three times. That smell locking in that failure for the rest of his life. And now when that scar, when that smell triggers the memory, when he smells the charcoal fire again, he will remember that he has a redeemer who loves him that much to not just give him three chances to say it, but to give him a chance to smell it. That's what Jesus does for his disciples when we fail him. And it's beautiful. There's no one like Jesus. We fail him, but he never fails us. So friends, what can we do in response to such a Savior who went to the cross to die for our sins and will take our past failures and scars and turn them into stories of redemption? And his faithfulness, what can we do? We can respond by thanking Jesus, by confessing all of our sins. For the first time, if that's you, confess all your sins. He will forgive them all. You will be saved and with him forever, with no scars and no pain and no trauma again in the age to come. Or if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time like Peter and you failed him this week, this month, this year, you confess those sins and he will remake every one of those memories into something new and glorious. That's what he does. He died to give you that new life. There is no one like Jesus. We fail him, but he never fails us. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it's almost too good to be true. We read this story, and it's like a fairy tale. But you did it all 
for us to forgive us of our sins. Jesus was smacked in the face at a fraudulent trial overnight while his closest disciples were denying him publicly. And you still had your son go to the cross so that our past failures could be redeemed. Thank you. Thank you that you care so much for us that you'll even redeem the memories we smell. Because you made all of us and you want all of us to be whole. So for every heart and mind right now that is hearing my voice, will you take all of our past failures and will you redeem them by the cross of Jesus Christ? Help us confess those sins and be made new. Thank you that even though we fail you, Jesus never failed us because there's no one like him. And you gave him to us as a Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.